this morning. I have visions of me tripping over that mat over there and carrying this, and then visions of me like tripping over all of this. So if I trip, please don't laugh. Thankfully, this service isn't being recorded. The second one is. So if I get all my jitters out this service and trip, it's not so bad. <laughs> anyway, is that I, this season of Advent is coming up pretty soon. It's around the corner. It officially starts next Sunday. And I'm super distracted by the list of the things I've got to get done by the end of the year. And some of it's fun stuff, like take the kids to go see Santa, um, go ice skating, go see the tree lighting. And some of it not so fun, like the deadlines I've got to meet at work. And admittedly, the Christmas shopping list. I'm not looking forward to that. And when I think of lists, I think about my New Year's resolutions. And I'm not talking about my 2018 resolutions. I'm talking about the ones I haven't looked at since February. And I wonder, what on earth was I doing that I didn't have time to do that yoga class once a week? Or what was I doing that I haven't read those books that I promised that I'd read, read by the end of the summer? By my nightstand, I have like 10 books that I'm a third of the way through of each. That's me, I'm that person. And I look back on the year, and I spiral into thinking, what have I done this year? What have I achieved? How have I grown? And I think about how I've grown in my marriage and in my relationships and in our family. And then I think about all the moments in which I was tested, in which my faith has been tested this year. This year has been a rough year. Um, this year, as a staff, we started uh, separated from our Manhattan campus. And it was a chance for new beginnings, but it scared me because we were starting the year um, without our associate pastor who was on maternity leave at the time, Jen. So I was nervous about that. And I was nervous because we didn't even have an office space. So I worried for the longevity and the future of our church. I worried for my church community disappearing, which is all I've ever known since I moved to the United States. I worried for my job that I love so much, all disappearing. And um, as, the year went, as the months went by, I then had to begin navigating the New York City public school system. And that was a nightmare. And I spent, no joke, three months going from school to school, speaking to principals, speaking to, to administrators, trying to get uh, my two daughters, who are a year apart, into the same school, any school. I just needed to get in, them into the same school. And then um, the school year ends and it's summer and I'm at home now with two school-aged children trying to entertain them and I'm trying to find an hour here and an hour there to work. Enough said. I don't need to describe that. And then the summer ends and fall comes and now I've got all these new responsibilities at church and I've got to take two kids to two separate schools. Thankfully, um, you know, the Misha gets into Maya's school and that's all good and I think, all right, I've got a handle on everything. Everything's gonna go right, I've got this. And then I get thrown into the middle of family drama. And angry emails are exchanged, tearful phone calls, sleepless nights. And no one seems to wanna admit that they've hurt the other or admit that they're wrong, but everyone has to put on a happy face for the holidays. Can anyone relate? And I wasn't the only one that experienced hardship this year. My husband, Mike, um, he, his family experienced four losses this year. They lost two aunts and two cousins. It's like his family can't catch a break. In my family, we lost two family members in the space of three months. Grief 
is something that we're still learning to process. And it's so hard to do when you're going through each stage only to get thrown back into the beginning of it with the loss of another life. And this is just the grim of this year that my family's experienced. Then I think about what's been going on in the world and the grim and the grief that the world has experienced. I think about the shootings in Mississippi, in Resorts World Manila, in Las Vegas. I think about the lives lost in bombings in Syria, in Manchester, the church in Egypt, the outside the kindergarten in Jiangsu province in China. Then I think of the lives and the homes lost in Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma and the path of destruction that Hurricane Maria left um, through Puerto Rico and the Caribbean. The floods, I think of the floods that devastated parts of South Asia, the mudslide in Sierra Leone, the wildfires in California, and the Grenfell Tower fire in London. I think about the school shooting that took four lives just two weeks ago. When I look at these events and I saw more, I realized that there were so many that I didn't even know about. That reading all of them all in one go made my heart swell with grief. And in this Advent season, when we're supposed to turn our thoughts in preparation for the coming of Christ and celebrate the coming of Jesus, reflect on hope, peace, love, and joy, I wonder if there's any of that anymore. I wonder if there is hope from peace, love, and joy to come. I wonder where is the hope for something great to happen? Last year's most devastating shooting in American history was replaced by this year's most devastating shooting in American history. Even last year's set of catastrophic hurricanes were outdone by this year's set of catastrophic hurricanes. So what can we hope for for the next year? Are we really moving towards peace and joy and love? Are we really going to experience that joy? Because it just feels like it's getting worse. And the early Jews were probably feeling grief at a greater intensity during the Babylonian exile, which is the context of the, pac of the passage that Michaela read earlier. First, they were conquered by the, by the Babylonians who, were de who destroyed their homes, destroyed their businesses, their farmlands, their vineyards, and even destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. The Babylonians then gathered all the nation's leaders, all the leaders of Judah, the, um, the government officials, the scholars, the, the um, religious leaders. The Babylonians gathered the best and brightest of the lot and then exiled them hundreds of miles away from their land. And then they faced a grim future of being held captive in a foreign land. The passage that we read earlier is a prayer that Daniel says, having read a letter from the prophet Jeremiah, which states a message from God that's specifically for those who had been exiled. You see, according to the prophecy, their time of exile was coming to an end. And the letter said that Jerusalem would be destroyed for 70 years before being restored. And Daniel reads this letter roughly 66 years in. So in response to reading this letter, Daniel says a prayer of confession on behalf of all the Jews being unfaithful to God's law and acting rebelliously. And you can hear the weight of those years living in captivity, living one death threat after another, and the division of the people heavy in Daniel's prayer. The tone 
of this prayer is much like a prayer that's said after a major tragedy. But let's go back a little bit and remind ourselves quickly of what happened to Daniel up to this point. So Daniel, along with his friends, were exiled uh, to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar and made to work in the palace. In the first six chapters, we hear their stories of overcoming persecution and by remaining strong in their faith. They received death threats when they refused to eat with the Babylonians, but test after test and trial, they end up outranking the Babylonian soldiers. Then his friends refuse to participate in a Babylonian worship ritual. So they get thrown into a fiery furnace, but God protects them from the fire and they come out victorious. Daniel uh, then gets thrown into a lion's den for refusing to worship King Darius the Mede. And he too is protected by God and comes out victorious. And I'm sure you've read all of these stories growing up, going to Sunday school. And if you haven't, I highly recommend that you volunteer at Kid Stuff because it's kind of like Bible Stories 101. So anyway, what follows is a prayer that Daniel makes reading a letter from Jeremiah. And this is a prayer of confession and intercession. But I just couldn't wrap my head around why if Daniel knew from reading the letter that the time of exile was coming to an end, why did he feel the need now to confess and intercede for the people of Israel? Why now knowing that freedom was just around the corner? And admittedly, when I read this, this chapter, I read about 20 or 30 times in preparation for this sermon, and even before, I just glossed over that part. I just kept reading. But I just kept getting stuck on the why. So I went back into Jeremiah, and I read the letter, and my mind was blown. And here's what he wrote. Jeremiah 29.7 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. First of all, are you kidding me? Seek the peace and prosperity of the city that enslaved me, that captured me, that threatened to kill me if I didn't eat their food or threw me in a dungeon because I refused to bow down to their king? That's like telling the North Koreans to pray for the prosperity of their leader that's kept them captive in their land, separated from their families in South Korea since the end of the, world, the Second World War. There is no way that I would do that. In fact, I'd probably be cursing the land and then finding, finding an escape, making an escape plan to get out of there. But not Daniel. He's much holier than I am. And those that were exiled did do, do, did do just that. They persevered through their hardships and through their suffering, all 66 years of it up to this point. And instead of making an escape plan, Daniel actually works hard for the government. He works so hard that he ends up rising up in ranks and becoming a trusted advisor. Then Daniel reads the following, Jeremiah 29.10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declared the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. If I read this, I would be rejoicing. Like, this is amazing news. It's already been 66 years and we're about to be set free. I can finally go home. <clears throat> but Daniel doesn't rejoice. He instead, he starts fasting and he goes into mourning. He does this because immediately after God promises to deliver him, God calls Daniel to seek God to pray to God with all his heart 
that God would rescue him from captivity. Daniel reads that God is calling him. So Daniel responds, he seeks God and prays hard. Daniel shows how serious he is by fasting, by wearing a sackcloth and smearing ashes on himself. Daniel prays on behalf of all the people of Israel who have been scattered and divided from the north and the south, some being captured by the Assyrians and some being exiled in Babylon and some lost in Judah, having lost faith, disobeying the laws of God. Daniel prays on behalf of all the people of Israel. Why not just himself? Daniel was a pretty righteous man. Nothing bad had ever been written about Daniel. Sure, he'd been tested and he'd probably committed some personal sins, but for the most part, he didn't compromise. So he's good, right? Why did he feel the need to pray in such a manner? Why did he feel the need to repent for sins that he didn't even commit? Why for all the people of Israel and not just himself or just he and his friends? It's because Daniel wasn't selfish about seeking God's forgiveness. He saw that God's forgiveness and God's mercy wasn't just exclusive to himself, but it was for everyone. Daniel, in loving his people so much, loving his nation, reading these words so seriously and believing these words to come through in just a few years, wanted to secure the freedom for not just himself, but for all the people of Israel. He sought God's forgiveness for them all. Daniel's hope for the restoration of Jerusalem extended beyond himself, beyond his own freedom and his own restoration. It included the people of Israel. He understood that God's love covered them all. God's mercy covered them all. God's forgiveness covered them all. What does that remind you of? It reminds me of the great act of love that Jesus did when he physically took on all the sins of the world for all the people throughout history and throughout the future of humanity. Jesus' act of love covered us all. Now Daniel, his faith never wore out. In chapters one through six, we read stories of Daniel and his friend's faith being tested and see that they remained victorious because they didn't compromise their laws to save their own lives. It was a group effort too. It wasn't just Daniel whose faith was tested. It was his friends as well. And it was through the rallying of his friends and support of one another that they had the courage to face the fiery furnace. And even through that, Daniel had the courage to face the lion's den on his own. As a group, they believed that God would save them and God did, but they still had to live in exile. Test of faith would follow test of faith, but God delivered them each time. And for the almost 70 years before Daniel received this letter, his faith never faltered. He didn't get tired. But I'm tired. I'm tired because it's been a year of living in this divided America where I'm constantly amazed by the lack of empathy of our nation's leaders. I'm tired of explaining why the, the rights of marginalized people need to be protected. I'm tired of explaining exactly who classifies as marginalized. This nation has tired and grieved over the decades and years that they've put in striving for equality and freedom, but they still have to go through the pain and the setbacks that come with it. 
I'm tired of hearing the fighting from both sides. And regardless what you think of our current president, people from both sides are tired. I can't imagine, I can't even begin to imagine what it must, must have felt for some of you to go home to your families, to go back to the people who raised you, your very first loves, and to hear just how different their views were from yours. That you grew up under the same roof, but still sit on opposite sides. Because to feel the division in, in the nation is one thing, but division within your family, that hurts. Don Torrance, um, one of our Kid Stuff dads and a church deacon, he shared with me about uh, his anxiety about going home for Thanksgiving and facing the conversations of politics and religion because his family, his relationship with his family is already fractured since the election last year, especially since he's started to become more vocal about his more progressive views. His wife, Maggie Torrance, Kid Stuff mom and, and church deacon as well, was less anxious about the politics, but more about the racist or discriminatory language and behavior that she might see. She knew that she would witness some women in her family being treated as less than. And it's hard seeing the people you love treating the people they love this way. So then, when you know that these conversations are inevitable, when you know that their actions would never change, that they don't think what they're doing is wrong, where's the hope that change will come for the better? But here's the thing. Daniel celebrated victories even in his time of exile. When Daniel read that letter from Jeremiah, he didn't read a letter that said, you're gonna be in captivity for 70 years. Hang in there. He read a letter that said that God had not abandoned them. That even though they had been exiled from their land, God had not disinherited them. God promises, God's promise to them would still be fulfilled, but they still had to persevere and endure their time of trial in exile. Somewhere along the way, we've come to think that God's promise to us is an escape from the suffering of whatever trial we're going through. But God called on those exiled to continue life as normal. He called on them in Babylon to build homes and have children, pray for peace and prosperity. So in other words, they had to do life in that. They not stay alive by eating and breathing, but to do life in exile. We pray for a hope that's free from any pain or any hardship, but that just isn't how it works in the Old Testament. We see that hope is what carries us through as we endure and persevere and grow through hardship. We see that hope is not just attained individually by Daniel himself, not just as a group with Daniel and his friends, but as a community and as a nation. Daniel prayed and hoped for the release of his people, but did you know he never made it back to Babylon? But some of those exiled did. They returned to their land and they took the hope that, that carried through with them and it carried through in generations to follow as they received the great news of everlasting life through Christ. This year, yes, it's been a hard year. We can get discouraged by the fractured relationships in our family with policies unchanged and the anxious wait between job interviews or the lack of recognition of our hard work. We can get discouraged when we see our lives aren't where they're supposed to be at at this stage. 
we aren't we can get discouraged because we're not married or we don't live in a nicer apartment or we don't have the 2.4 kids that we thought we'd have at this point but when we get discouraged hope grows dim it becomes easy to settle to accept things the way they are my husband mike says it is what it is but when you stop expecting greatness and you settle you come to believe that that becomes all you have and all you can have is your present situation instead of hoping and anticipating more your hope fades and that fire and excitement in you burns out you forget what it meant to hope the season of advent is meant for us to slow down stop and reflect on hope and anticipate the greatness of Jesus coming we must remember once again the hope that was promised to us but hope didn't end with the coming of Jesus and hope doesn't end with us it didn't end with Daniel it didn't even end when the israelites returned to their home because they had to endure roman rule they continued to hope for the coming of the messiah but it doesn't even end there there is a continuation of hope it's an everlasting hope that covers us all there is a greater story than what was happening in babylon then and what's happening in america now it is a greater story with a hope that is dynamic and that changes and evolves through generations to come in that journey of hope will come the joy the peace and the love and it's not something that we should be praying for for just our lives it's something that we need to seek for our community for our nation and for generations to come so for don hope looks like raising his sons differently and having an opportunity to influence how they live and what they believe not to tell them that they have to agree with how he thinks but to show them how their version of how to live and love the world and for maggie hope is and i'll tell you exactly what she said in reference to her sons i'm hoping that they see the way we love our family despite our differences and they too will love them and others the season of advent reminds us that hope is greater than what we're hoping for to happen today and to happen in our lifetime we are reminded that this season is the expectation of hope of god's promise of everlasting grace that covers us all that's the message that jesus brought to us advent is about anticipating the coming of christ which to me looks like the manifestation of jesus inside within each one of us through what we do what we do to bring hope bring peace love and joy to the world to continue in his work of compassion love and empathy for the marginalized continue in his work for justice and peace continue in his acts of generosity so hope might look like serving the community by serving the homeless and the hungry in the the um the food pantry in park slope that some of our community members did yesterday hope might look like provi providing support outside this nation by supporting organizations like nomi network that caroline mentioned during the announcements an organization that provides vocation and shelter for women who have been victims of sex trafficking in india and cambodia within this church hope looks like being a financial partner by giving so that forefront can continue to provide a safe space for the faith formation of our lgbtq plus community 
Hope looks like showing Don and Maggie's sons and all our kid stuff kids what it looks like to live and love the world, what it looks like to love through our differences so that they too continue in the work of Jesus. This is the start of greatness coming. That is the start of God's promises coming to fruition beyond our lives, beyond our children's lives, beyond this church, this community, and beyond this nation. We celebrate God's victories and hope for more because they will come. God's promises are always fulfilled, but we need to remind ourselves today to hope and be open to the Spirit moving in such a way. But I'm aware that for some of us, that might be too hard for us to do right now. It might be too difficult to find that glimmer of hope for yourself. And if that's you, then do just this. Today, just stop and take a moment to remember when you last anticipated something great for your life. Today, take a moment to step out of settling and instead believing that you are worthy of more, that believing that you can have more. You don't need to know when, you don't need to know the time or the hour, but the important thing is that you're living in a place of hope and not in complacency. And if this is you, and if you feel comfortable, please come up for prayer after service. There'll be someone up here, someone from the prayer team, I think it's Caroline, who will be up here to pray for you. And if that's not something that you can do today, then I encourage you to lean into your small group or join a small group if you haven't done so already so that they can come and support you and uplift you in prayer. Because God didn't say to the exiles, hang in there. God called them to continue life as a community because it's a group effort. He called on us to come together in prayer. Know that we stand by you. Know that as a group and as a community, we're here for you and we will hope for you and that our prayer for you is that you may come to receive peace, love, and joy this season and for the year ahead. With that, I want to end with a quote from Pope Francis. The journey is never finished, finished, just as in each of our own lives, there is always a need to restart, to rise again, and to recover a sense of the goal of one's own existence. Let's pray. Dear God, sometimes when we look at the world around us or what's going on in our personal lives or our relationship with our families, it's hard to hope. Everything just seems so bleak and impossible and even depressing at times. But you promised hope to Daniel and those exiled and you delivered. You promised hope to the Israelites and you delivered. You promised hope to us and I pray that today you ignite that sense of hope in us. I pray that you give us strength when our faith falters. I pray that you remind us of your presence in our lives. I pray that in the busyness of this season, you remind us of hope in you. Fill us with peace, love, and joy as we go out this morning. In your name we pray, amen.